Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hum, hanum, hum, hum, hanum, 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 the sound of Nomi Nuti uh, with Dora Lisa. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. Thank you very much for joining me. It is the place, of course, you will know this by now, I hope, where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. I'm very happy to say that my business shaper today is none other than Charles Finch. You may not know him right now, but you will know him by 10 o'clock this morning. I can promise you that. He's a creative entrepreneur. He's a man behind movies, behind brands and recently has become one of the key shareholders in a brand I love called Dean and DeLuca, famous on the other side of the Atlantic. Lots coming up from him. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. In addition to hearing from Charles, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Ibrahim Malouf, Cecile McLaurin-Salvant and this from the one and only Tony Bennett. Good life Full of fun Seems to be The ideal Mmm The good life the inimitable sound of Tony Bennett with The Good Life and an apt song, if ever there was, to get us going here with my business shaper, Charles Finch. He epitomises The Good Life, or at least you would think so if you read about all the different things that he has been involved in. He's a movie producer. He has created his own business called Finch and Partners back in 2005, doing all sorts of things with luxury brands and entertainment companies, celebrities and philanthropic endeavours too. He created Chuck's Dive Mountain Shop and he's even, as I said, involved in Dean DeLuca. Is there any time to do anything? No. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> How do you look so healthy, Charles? I love jazz, though. Um, <laughs> do, I look healthy because I had a steam this morning, even if it was only 15 minutes long, and I pretended to do yoga, which if anybody actually saw me doing what I was doing in the steam room, uh, they wouldn't have called it yoga. Now, just explain to me what it is that you do what it is that you call yourself and how you manage to move around in so many different worlds because you do i mean i've struggled all my career my my 30 year career to uh define what i do well and now at 53 maybe for the first time i'm getting there i'm sort of i started in the movie business that's the first thing to understand and when i was very very young i made my first picture so i was 21 i directed my first film which was terrible, called Priceless Beauty, but I, I still like it. <laughs> and so I started the movie business, directed some movies, produced a lot of movies, wrote a bunch of movies, and sort of had a Hollywood career that sort of migrated into representing artists, big, big artists. I mean, Kate Blanchett, John Malkovich, Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel. I mean, big, big artists. And that then led me to managing those artists, and then I went from there to brands. I started becoming more and more fascinated and less in dealing with individuals and more in trying to shape brands and to give them ideas and become a sort of alchemist. And that led me to then buying brands and developing my own brands. And over the last 15 years, I've bought and sold companies, helped build companies. And I think now 
I sort of view myself as as really an, a, a sort of entrepreneur is, is probably a misused word. So I try and and take ideas, formulate them, create them with the tools that I have and 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 build them around the world into becoming either successful businesses or successful happenings or so so I'd say I'm a producer fundamentally a creative producer that that works in uh, in the consumer world now way way back when um you're obviously an intelligent person you didn't go to university i believe that the circumstances meant you couldn't does it matter to you that you didn't do any of that i mean do you feel like you continue to learn is it better for you that you didn't do that formal education? Well, you know, it, it, it actually... Well, first of all, thank you very much for, for inviting me to be here because um, I, think, I think there is... I have got an interesting story for people who didn't go to university. I, I was lucky. I was at Gordonson. I got a scholarship to finish my time at Gordonson uh, thanks to the Braben Trust. And then I got... Um, I won a Moorhead Scholarship, an exhibition to American universities. And I didn't go. I chose not to go. And uh, I chose not to go because I think I was in such a hurry, such a rush. And also my mother wasn't, was, was, we'd come from a very wealthy family that didn't have any money. It's a classic European story. And she was suffering from different things at the time. And I was in such a rush to survive. And I didn't really have the privilege of not keeping her alive and going to school, going to Yale. Um, and so life took me on that journey. And I think what university gives you, I think, is that opportunity, which is often misspent on youth because they're too busy running around and not listening or, or not taking advantage of these brilliant people teaching them, the campus facilities and all that. But what it gives you is protection to try out your ideas. And it gives you relationships that are more mature than your high school relationships. And so I think, yeah, it held me back. I think it held me back. I was I'm self-educated. I I had to learn about about movies and about writing and and as a writer I, I mean everything that I learned I really had to teach myself. You know, so I think it held me back in many ways. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um but I do think that we shouldn't just let our kids go to school without explaining to them the value, the privilege of further education. So yeah, that's what I feel. Stay with me for much more insight from my fascinating business shaper, Charles Finch. Time for some music. It's the punchy sound of Dizzy Gillespie with Bang Bang. Bang Bang from Dizzy Gillespie. It's really hard not to smile when you hear that, isn't it? Charles Finch is my business shaper today, and he is, um, well, he's lots of things. He's made movies, he said. He gets behind brands, gets behind people, has followed his passion for ideas, and as you were hearing earlier, has been a bit of a person who's self-taught, and I think it's really important to, to have heard him talk about that. Charles, you worked for another company. I mean, you worked for the William Morris Agency for a number of years, and, and I often ask this. People think that entrepreneurs are built overnight, and yet many people I speak to actually, they had an apprenticeship at a really big company and said, well, that's pretty good, but I can do that better. Is that true of your experience over there? 
I mean, I had two working, I had two jobs in my career. One job was working for Peter Guber and John Peters. And those two producers, that was in Hollywood. And those two producers at the time were not only running Warner Brothers, more or less, but we made Batman and we made Witches of Eastwick. And, and we had like eight movies in over an 18-month period. So I had these two iconic bosses that I used to drive around and get coffee for. And it was a very old-fashioned Hollywood uh, experience. It was a real, you know, L.A., you know, I was very, very young and... And so I got to work on story ideas, and they found what I, what I, they found my weaknesses and my strengths. And so I was very lucky that I had these extraordinarily brilliant kind of mentors. And then I went off and wrote a movie and made my first movie. And, and later on in my career, after having directed three movies, produced a bunch of movies, I, you know, was tired. I actually, it's an interesting story if we can digress for a second. So I made a movie called Never Ever that opened the Toronto Film Festival. And I directed, wrote, produced a movie, painted the sets, made it fat in casa, as they say in Italy. And the movie starred me, okay, who never starred in a damn movie because I couldn't find the right person to be in the movie. And Sandrine Bonaire, who was a big French actress, Jane March, we made this movie. The movie, I fell in love with Sandrine Bonaire, of course. And then we made the movie and it went to the Toronto Film Festival and a bunch of other festivals. And it was really the culmination of my work in the movie business. And the movie opened, and I flew to Toronto, it was with Sandrine, it was cold, it was a really it's one of those Toronto overcast days, and I, she was already falling out of love with me. Impossible, I'm sure you can see, but it, she was falling out of love with me. And the movie opened, and it was a very important night, obviously, and it was a failure. It was a big failure. And at the end of the, the movie, a lot of gray-haired women it was, stayed. There were a lot of gray-haired ladies who liked the movie. And this is a very bad sign. And um, the, the Variety reviewed the movie on the front page, and it said, you know, Charles Finch's performance is so flat you could land a jumbo jet in his head. <laughs> and it's kind of funny in a way. And yet, you know what it did? It broke my heart. And I... I didn't have anyone in my life at that time who could turn around to me and say, my father, who'd been a very famous actor, was dead. I didn't have a relationship with him. I didn't have anybody who was able to say to me, listen, man, some movies are good, some movies are bad. You're 28 years old. What the hell do you care? Make another movie. And so I got a job. And I got a job because my agent at William Morris, who was running the agency said to me, listen, man, you know, what are you going to do? You don't have any money. And we're going to hold it right mm -hmm. there because I think that's an excellent place to leave mm -hmm. it. A cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger um, for Charles Finch, the, the son, as he was saying before, of the famous Australian. Actually, you may have realised that before, Peter Finch. British Let, act, actually. British world, well, people. Is it British? Definitely. I mean, he was a British... He was, a, he was really a colonial. You know, he grew up... He was born in England and grew up in Australia. So I think British, British Aussie actor. There we go. It's a yeah. British Aussie actor. Yeah. Latest travel in a couple of minutes. And before that, some words of wisdom, I hope, from our programme partners at Mishkondoret for your burgeoning business. I'm Emma Walcott. I'm an associate in the reputation protection team at Mishkondoret, part of the private uh, department. Businesses of all sizes need to be very careful about how they and their employees engage on social media. We advise all businesses to have a robust social media policy so that staff are aware what they can and cannot say on social media, either for business use or in their own time. 
staff need to be well aware that what they say on social media, um, even on the weekends and in their own name, can have a very um, severe adverse impact on the business's brand and that may have um, ramifications for their employment. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday, 9am sharp here on Jazz FM, I get the privilege, I have the privilege of meeting someone who is shaping the world of business. And I'm very privileged to say that Charles Finch is my business shaper today. Um, he's an entrepreneur, but he's a lot more than that. He's a producer at heart. He creates things that people like. I think that's um, what he's been doing for many, many years. As you look back now, uh, you, that moment where you did get clobbered over the head with the, the poor review of the film that you starred in and that you wrote and you directed and all those other things... Do you think we wouldn't be sitting here now if someone had said, you know what, that was just a bad film, you can make more films, stay with it? I mean, I think I would probably still be making movies. I think I would have got it right eventually as a filmmaker. There was periods in my life where I was doing things which weren't really what I wanted to do, and I think I would have saved that time. Mm. I, you know, and, and does that time, so then jumping to the William Morris experience, you had to get the job, you went and did it, did you enjoy those almost... It was almost 10 years, wasn't it, there? No, I, I actually... It was, it's very funny because people always misunderstand that. I was actually only at William Morris three years. Okay. But um, actually, possibly one of the last... The last sort of eight months was gardening. You know, they kept me under contract and I couldn't get out. So, you know, I always kind of liked agents because... I think some of the most creative people are agents. They're coming up with ways of selling their clients. And they often, in Hollywood especially, packaged things and created things and made things happen. So I kind of had a, a, a good feeling about agents. So I'm an agent liker, not an agent hater. And you often meet actors who hate their agents. So I think it was, it was an opportunity for me to get paid really, really well to use a different set of tools, which I hadn't been using, instead of using my own tools to get my own movies made, all of a sudden I was using the tools I had to get other people's movies made. And then I suddenly looked at agency in a way that nobody else really, quite frankly, apart from maybe Michael Ovitz, which is normal now, had done. I suddenly said to myself, I don't need to only sign artists. And I had big artists, Kate Blanchett, John Malkovich, the people I've mentioned before. But I said, let's sign companies. Let's sign actual companies and businesses and see how we can bring our entertainment expertise in marketing movies, in marketing movie stars, in spreading the stardust, if you want, into consumer brands. And that was something that agencies didn't do. And they didn't really understand. It wasn't a big enough business. But actually, if you think about it, major brands were funding television programming. Major brands were using celebrity. Major brands were getting people elected. So it suddenly put me into a position that was very powerful within the agency. And they asked me to run all of their international businesses, which at the time were, you know, many offices around the world. I was very, very young, with 30. And, um, I, and, and from that came this idea that we would start selling television formats. I brought over a young executive from America, and he started selling TV formats into the U.S. market. He got into the much in, very much into reality TV, and that's how he made his great fortune and how William, William Morris made their great fortune. What I didn't like about agency is not being the principal in a deal. And, of course, uh, we'll now find out what the principal in the deal does that you... Yeah 
can do when you are the principal and you can't do when you're working for someone else. Time for some music. This is the trolley song from Cecile McLaurin Salvon. Trolley song from Cecile McLaurin Salvant and another one that's super evocative of a certain time of the day. Charles, um, you were saying you were saying you know you wanted to be the principal in the deal, and boy, have you been a principal in many many deals. That innovation that you saw then that that was not around. I mean, by definition, innovation is what what is not around. It seems to have kind of either followed you around or it's led your nose to interesting things. Within all these interesting things, and people look at the world of film and they look at the world of brands and they think kind of on a level it's about the way things look and the way they appear, there must be a huge amount of substance. That, and you said, I'm, a, I'm an agent lover, not an agent hater. A huge amount of substance that goes into constructing a deal, which is on the surface of it obvious and easy and even gauche or flashy to some and other to others just damn, you know, it makes a lot of business sense. But that substance, how do you combine that in, in such a... Um, superficially superficial world, if you like. Well, I think at the level of business that I was at and 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 I'm at, frankly, I mean, last year or the year before, I made Jennifer Lawrence's deal with Dior. You know, I acted for Dior into you know into helping her to understand why it would be a significant opportunity for her to become the face of this enormously important global brand, and. Why was it important for Jen? Well, she was coming out in these incredible movies, but she was still seen as an ingenue. And by being the face of Dior, it kind of platformed her career with her agents and put her into a another. It, it gave her another a face, another face, if you want. It's a very creative way of positioning an artist, and it's a very creative thing for a brand to think. And then you've got to think of how you're going to execute the stories around that give it substance. So I've found that people at that level of business, and, and which is what I've been focused on for, for many years, Kate Blanchett, or if it's on the people business, Kate Blanchett or Jen Lawrence or those sort of people, they are pretty down to earth because they understand that they're Scarlett Johansson. They, they understand that their core talent has to be protected which is when they work in a movie or on stage. But these other things that they do um, are also important business facets for them. So I, I, I think it's in my world, it's not that superficial. What, it's, what I think is superficial is celebrity. That's a totally different thing. How do you keep your feet on the ground then? Because you're surrounded by celebrity. You're surrounded by big numbers. These, these are big companies and these are big artists and you're negotiating, creating, protecting, as you say, the integrity of those people. What keeps you on the level? You seem on the level, well, but this is I, a hard, I, hard I act, mean, isn't it? I mean, no, I mean, I, I was born into this, this. There are no, there's no great mystery to me. I'm very lucky that I didn't have to assume. I think what agents sometimes do is assume the power of their clients and then they become <laughs> And that happens a lot. <laughs> so go, we can't say that word. So find another word. They behave like <laughs> I don't know, you can beep it. I'm not 
changing. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, we can beep your it. Ja- your, ja- your jazz FM. We'll, we'll okay. beep it. Right, um, leave that yeah. there. Good. <laughs> More beeps coming up from my business shaper. Um, it'll be in my final chat with Charles. We, we want to keep him for longer. Mm. Uh, we want more beeps, but um, we, mm. we, can't, we haven't got the time. Plus, we're playing a chat with Ibrahim Malouf. That's after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Powerful sound of Ibrahim Malouf with one of my favourites of the last twelve months, Essential. Charles, um, you have you you continue to do interesting things. You've set up a business called the Chuck's Diver Mountain Shop. It's a brand, but it's I suppose it's a, a thing around lifestyle and what people want to buy over there. This Dean and DeLuca business as well, something that I spotted probably five years ago, I think, in the states, and I was like. These beautiful white mugs with the lovely crisp Dean and DeLuca, big big black uh, letter font over there, the lovely coffee, the sense of what they're about. You bought into that. What's made you buy into Dean and DeLuca at this point? Well, can I just go back for one second? So Chuck's Diving Mountain Shop. Yes. Chuck's is a nickname of mine. And my grandfather, George Inglefinch, invented the downfill jacket and climbed Everest in 1922 on the second Mallory expedition. And my father, when he was living in Jamaica, I grew up in Jamaica, he found a pair of uh, Ian Fleming's shorts. They were a very dear friend, and he used to make his own shorts, swim shorts. That's how Chuck started. How's it doing now? It's good. We've got a store and a restaurant on Dover Street, which is great. Even Adrian Gill likes it. And we're just opening another... another Another one in Notting Hill. So that's Chucks. Okay. And I started it. That would be enough for some people. See, they would just yeah. have a Chucks, but you've just got Chucks, and it's just over there. Yeah. Good. And Next that, one. That's great. So Dean, <laughs> so Dean and Deluca, essentially, my partner in Asia, um, who's a brilliant young Asian uh, business tycoon, was working on on building the tallest building in Bangkok, which is called the Mahanakon Tower, and he put into the Mahanakon Tower Dean and Deluca, and when we became full business partners. Uh, I said to him, we've got to buy this damn thing. And it's just so happened that the brand, after 20 years of ownership or stewardship, um, could be bought. We bought it. And so the idea is to bring back some of the ingredients of Giorgio De Luca and his partners, Jeffrey Dean, who started the brand, and to build it. So we're building seven other Dean and De Lucas in North America at the moment. We'll probably build another 30 over the next four years, three years. And um, Dean and Deluca is about cur- for those of you who've never been to Dean and Deluca, it's in New York City. It's also in Napa. It'll be in Mar- Marin. It'll be in Los Angeles. It- it's going to be in Malibu at the end of this year. And we're in Tokyo. We're in Seoul. Um, we're in the Middle East. And Dean and Deluca is a sort of cu- curation of these amazing, amazing food products from around the world, the best in category always, as well as having great food that you can come and eat either in store or you can take with you. So it was the first sort of curated um, delicatessen at the highest price. I mean, Giorgio Deluca brought virgin olive oil to New York City 35 years ago. 
the, the way you're talking about it and the expansion plans and everything yeah. we've spoken about um, since we started talking, you're in, you have this capacity, it seems, of, for enthusiasm and for real knowledge. I mean, you've, yeah. you jumped just in there to Dean and DeLuca. Some people get very stressed when there's lots on their plate. It, it looks like to me that you're less stressed the more there is going on. I mean, I, I work in, in silos. You know, I work in silos. So I see Dina DeLuca as, you know, now probably two, two-thirds at the moment of my life. And I have a very good team around me. And I have an incredible partner who's the principal of the company, who's young and dynamic. And I can give him advice where he requires it. But he's inspirational. And his name is Ying Sorapodj. And he's an inspirational guy. And then I see my Finch and Partners team. Finch and Partners is in London, Paris, Bangkok, Hong Kong. They're very sophisticated people. And they have long-term partnerships with Chanel and Dior and the the most important brands in the world, Georges Lacoutre. And so it's a very small team, and they're very focused, and it's very project-led. So I can deal with these things in silos. At the moment, I'm executive producing two movies. One is Nick Broomfield's uh, movie about Whitney Houston, which is for Showtime. That's the 16th film we've worked on together. And the other is a movie about Cecil Beaton that Lisa Vreeland is doing. But that's me helping them in, in whatever way I can, but not practically being on the set. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm holding a beautiful book, which is another another thing you've created, Charles, The Night Before BAFTA, uh, produced in association with the, the publishers Asoline. Is that yeah. right? Is yeah. That, say that properly. It's, a, it's really beautiful. It's another thing just to add to the list. Uh, it, it's been fantastic talking to you. Before I let you go, though, because you can't get away that easily, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So, uh, Joe Cocker, Unchain My Heart. Unchain My Heart. I mean, what can you... I mean... Do I need to explain that, really? No. I mean, you know. Here it is. Charles, thank you so much. Thank you. my heart Baby Let me be Cause you don't care Well, please Set me free That was Unchain My Heart from Joe Cocker, the son choice of my business shaper today, Charles Finch. A proper renaissance man, someone who's worked in the movies, someone who's worked with brands, someone who sets up businesses, and someone who lives in all different parts of the world at the same time. A person who has the courage of his convictions. He's had to convince stars and brands alike to do things that others probably wouldn't have been able to convince them to do. And really honest, at the heart of it, whatever world he's been playing in, I think he's been someone who's been a very straightforward person to deal with and do business with. Fantastic stuff. Join me again, same time, same place. That's 9am here on Jazz FM next Saturday for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, though, stay with us. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.